It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This song was uh, featured prominently in the film The Departed, or as almost every character in that picture says it, The Departed. Uh, A terrific Martin Scorsese picture, which I think he uh, actually finally won as best director for. And today, I am pleased to tell you, is Marty Scorsese's 80th birthday. So, uh, so happy birthday to Marty Scorsese, and uh, Marty still has a lot of relatives living here in the New York area, so um, f- please, if he's not listening now, we'll, we'll tell him we sent our best wishes. Somebody that does not need to watch a Marty Scorsese film to know about crime is James Quinn. This man is a crime fighter's crime fighter. He was a prosecutor in Queens for about 42 years. Think about that. Four decades. That's more than a lot of you have been alive. He was putting people in prison. Uh, he was the former Queens executive senior assistant district attorney. Jim Quinn, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Jim, what are you up to these days? Uh, are, you, uh, are you enjoying private sector life? Are you making the big bucks of a, a white-collar defense attorney while working out deals with the very same office that you used to run? Uh, no, not quite. I'm, I'm happily retired. Um, I do a lot of writing uh, about bail reform. Um, I try to, I've been trying to educate people about the impact of bail reform on crime in New York State. Um, and I, I try to keep my hand in things in that way. I, I have no desire to go out and uh, work as a defense attorney. All right. Well, yeah, I'm sure that uh, that comes as a great relief to uh, a lot of other prosecutors because uh, your legal acumen speaks for itself. You mentioned bail reform. You've written extensively about it, uh, including when you were in the Queens District Attorney's Office, warning the public about what a problem this is. How big of a problem in New York is cashless bail? What have we seen in terms of the difference between life uh, post cashless bail and pre cashless bail? Well, I, you know, I think a lot of people didn't realize that when they passed cashless bail, um, they essentially made it retroactive, so that anybody who was being held in on bail in 2019 uh, was immediately released by January 1st of 2020, uh, because the judges couldn't set bail on them in 2020. So judges started releasing people from Rikers Island um, in October, November, December of 2019. And what happened was, um, because the new bail laws came in, approximately 2,500 people were released from Rikers Island within a three-month period. Uh, and another three or four thousand people were released in count, from county jails all across New York State. And what happened was entirely predictable. Uh, every, every reasonable person who looked at this knew that it was going to happen. Crime went up 
by double digits in almost every single category in uh, in the NYPD's index crimes. Um, and it, it was ridiculous. It, you know, you, crime in New York City had been going down for 27 years, uh, since 1993, every single year. In 2019, crime went down. Um, it started going down by lesser amounts as more of these prisoners started getting released from Rikers Island. But on January 1st of 2020, between January 1st uh, and March 15th of 2020, uh, crime in New York City went up 32%. And that was before COVID was even thought about uh, as a, a pandemic in New York City. Um, and it's continued to go up. And they just simply refuse to, to acknowledge that releasing 2,000 career criminals from Rikers Island all at once uh, impacted crime in New York City. It, it's, it's ridiculous. It really is. It, it's, it, I, I don't understand how they, they sleep at night. One of the, um, we're talking with Jim Quinn, former Queens Executive Senior Assistant District Attorney. One of the rationale behind uh, cashless bail in New York State was the need to reduce mass incarceration. Um, did it achieve that? Did it actually reduce mass incarceration in New York State? Well, first of all, you have to determine whether or not uh, New York State had mass incarceration in 2019, and we didn't. New York State, New York City uh, had one of the lowest incarceration rates of any major city in the United States in 2019. Even going back to 2015, we had the lowest incarceration rate. When, you know, the, the, the number of people in Rikers Island back in 1990, 1992, 1993, was almost 20,000 people. By 2017, that number had gone down to about 9,500. When they uh, passed bail reform, the number was about 8,000. So the, the, the number of people incarcerated in New York City jails alone went down 60 percent from 1993 high. And it went down because crime went down. It didn't go down because we decided we're just going to let everybody out of jail. Right, right. And, you know, that, that's, that's what they did. New York City did not have mass incarceration. I am no uh, great fan of uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie for a whole host of reasons, mostly political. But someone was on this program uh, recently, and they pointed to Christie as part of the problem with the bail reform movement. They said what New Jersey had done in terms of bail reform in some ways set the standard and paved the way for what New York subsequently did after that. As a guy that I'm sure has studied this pretty closely – I'm wondering if you can speak to that. What exactly did New Jersey do with respect to bail reform? Was it as bad as what New York has done? And have the ramifications of the New Jersey bail reform changes been as drastic and as noticeable as what we saw in New York? Well, I mean, one of the things about Jersey is that um, they still allow judges to consider public safety uh, and dangerousness uh, in setting bail. So the impact hasn't been quite as bad as in New York. New York City and New York State. Um, New York City, uh, you know, they they didn't, I mean, what New York City did, that they took a whole series of crimes and said that a judge cannot set bail on those crimes, no matter what the defendant's prior record is, no matter how many prior convictions he has. You know, we we see every once in a while on on the news about these 
uh, guys arrested 30, 40 times, uh, and then they get arrested for petty larceny. Um, judges cannot set bail on a petty larceny. Even if that judge uh, knows in his heart of hearts or in her, her in her stomach that this is somebody that's going to go out and commit all sorts of crimes between now and the time they have to show up for their court appearance. As, as long as the defendant doesn't have a pending case when he's arrested, in other words, you know, another pending case, a judge is prohibited from setting bail on him. The defendant could theoretically stand there in front of the judge and say, Judge, when you let me out of here, I'm going to go down to CVS and I'm going to uh, steal shampoo. I'm going to go down and steal uh, razor blades. I'm, going to, uh, I'm walking out of the courtroom, Judge. I'm going to go back to, to uh, committing more petty larcenies. A judge can't even consider that in setting bail. Now, that's ridiculous. I mean, you know, we know, you know, the New York City Police Department knows the defendants who are committing crimes in New York State, uh, in New York City. They know the defendants in, in each precinct who are the, the problem defendants. They know the ones who are the serial petty larcenists, the, the car thieves, the, the, the people stealing uh, 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 uh wallets and telephones from people they know who they are and and you know it when those people finally get arrested uh for a, a crime and they've got a long rap sheet a judge should be allowed to look at that defendant and look at the case against him look at his record look at his danger to the community look at his risk of reoffending, and look at his roots in the community and determine whether or not he should be in jail I mean, what is, I, I, you know, 49 other states have some variation of that. And the federal government has that. The federal government can lock you up without bail uh, if you're deemed to be a danger. And, you know, it, it's like, I'm, I'm very frustrated when I talk about this, as you can probably imagine. But, but why are they resistant to this? Their whole metric for success, I'm talking about the bail reform people, their entire metric for success is the number of people in jail. That's it. They view bail reform as a success because the population on Americans went from 7,500 to 5,500. That's a success. The fact that crime went up 32% for the first time in 27 years is irrelevant. Uh, we're talking it's with um, we're talking with Jim Quinn. Uh, he was a senior prosecutor in the Queens DA's office for over four decades. You know, we're uh, still analyzing the results of the midterm elections, and here in New York, Lee Zeldin, who ran uh, almost exclusively on the crime issue, appears to have done better than any Republican running for governor in the last twenty years. Do you attribute Zeldin's strong performance in New York to the uptick in crime and the frustration that a lot of New Yorkers have with it? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, in the last election cycle, they lost the DA's offices in Nassau County and Suffolk County. Uh, they were both Democratic DAs, um, and both of them turned Republican. Uh, and the main issue was bail reform. They, they, the Republicans picked up a couple of state Senate seats and a couple of assembly seats, um, not enough to make a, a real difference um, in the state legislature. You know, that'll, you know, that will, if, if nothing changes, that will come eventually. Zeldin got 47% of the vote in New York State, which is phenomenal uh, when you really think about it. But the, I, I mean, the more important thing, and I don't think that the Democrats really appreciate this, 
is that because Zeldin was able to run so well on bail reform, and that was his main issue, it generated four turnovers, you know, flipped congressional seats. So the Republicans picked up four Mm -hmm. congressional seats in New York State, which is responsible for giving them control of the of the United States House of Representatives. And the, the, the Democrats, they don't really appreciate the impact of what they did. I mean, if, if, if bail reform were not an issue in New York State, a couple of those congressional seats in New York would not have flipped to Republicans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But because it was an issue, the, the, the Republicans now control the United States House of Representatives. Jim, let me ask you, uh, let me play this for you. This is from the man that signed bail reform, the former governor of the state of New York, Andrew Cuomo. And I actually, this was one of those moments. I heard him made this statement on the radio two days after the election. And I thought to myself, am I drunk this early in the day or am I living in the twilight zone? Because I found myself agreeing with what every word Cuomo said, but then I had to say, does this fellow not have any mirrors or is he the guy from Memento that's incapable of forming new memories because he uh, is the person that signed bail reform? This is what Governor said on the Cats at Night show on November 10th. Look, there was a a dissatisfaction with Democrats. It was true nationwide, and it was especially true in this state. Uh, Taxes are a problem. Um, I didn't really get much of an affirmative message from the Democrats about what they were going to do. It was just that they were not Zeldin. So there was a dissatisfaction with Democrats. Second, there wasn't a red wave, but there was a crime wave. Oh, very good. You talking about this. Uh, And you saw the crime wave hit. New York City sat on its hands. The turnout in New York City was about 10 points below what it should have been. Uh, And on Long Island, they didn't sit on their hands. They revolted, right, on the issue of crime. And why the Democrats, which I am still bewildered by, why they were so tongue-tied on the issue of crime, I just don't understand. And uh, you had election deniers, but the Democrats were crime deniers. So, uh, Jim, Governor Cuomo says the Democrats were crime deniers. Two-part question. One, do you think he's right? And two, how does Andrew Cuomo say that with a straight face? He's right. They're, they're crime deniers. They they refuse to acknowledge that what they did. And, and, you know, it's not just bail reform. Bail reform is a big thing because it let a lot of criminals out. But there's also other things that they did in the same, uh, you know, all signed by the same governor, uh, Governor Cuomo, that dealt with um, right. raise the reform, age, sure, raise the age, uh, discovery statute, which is making it impossible uh, for DAs to to adequately uh, prosecute crimes once they they uh, the defendant gets arrested, and I mean I I don't understand how he. I, I don't understand how he can look himself in the mirror. I really don't. I mean, you know, the one thing about this this whole issue of of crime and you know criminal justice reform is that it's very rare that you can have an honest discussion mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. that doesn't degenerate into claims of fear mongering or racism or you know anything like that or mean spirited and 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 those sort of things. And you know, I mean, I, I when I have when I make my arguments, I have 
statistics that I've researched up and down. I mean, it, I wrote a 40-page um, analysis of the bail laws and, and the impact on crime for the Manhattan Institute. And, you know, the, 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 a lot of the, the op-eds that I write are – a lot of the data is taken from that. It's taken from the OCA's website. It's taken from the NYPD's website. Uh, it's data that they, they never attack the data. They just stand there and say, you know, you're a fear monger. You know, you're, uh, you know, how can you say that? You're a fear monger. And uh, we're just trying to get racism out of the criminal justice system. Right. Well, that's, you know, it, it, it's frustrating because the people who are most impacted by crime in New York City are the minorities. Ninety six percent. Think of that number. Ninety six percent of the people who are shot in New York City are black or Hispanic. Ninety-six percent, ninety percent of the homicide victims in New York City are black or Hispanic. Now it's it's absolutely staggering. Now some people nationally and in New York State have said that um, the st- statistics that you're citing are misleading. That the there's not a crime problem, there's a perception problem. Governor Hochul made that point, and I believe you wrote an op-ed in one of the New York tabloids in response to that the week before the election. And uh, Mayor uh, Eric Adams said something similar. My goal is to continue to enhance that, because I said it over and over again. We're dealing with actual crimes, those eight uh, homicides, and we're dealing with the perception of fear that people are feeling. That's the combination, and I must deal with that profes- per- perception and the actual crime. What do you say to those, Jim, that say that these fears about crime is something that's ginned up by the New York Post, radio shows like this one, politicians trying to uh, run for office, um, you know, career prosecutors like you, and that crime is not as much of a problem as those entities make it out to be? Well, first of all, I would say... Tell that to the 85 additional people who are dead so far this year compared to 2019. Tell that to the 3,698 people who are victims of robberies more than in 2019. The 4,600 people who are victims of felony assaults more than 2019. The 7,000 people who are victims of grand larceny. The 7,000 people who have their cars stolen. 7,000 more than 2019, the same period. That totals out to 26,906 more crime victims than if crime had just stayed the same in 2019, from 2019. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's one thing to say that, you know, crime is not back where it was in 1993. Oh, that's true. But is that, where, you know, something we're supposed to be proud of? Uh, when crime has gone up in, in New York City, if, if you took year to date, you know, up until, say, mid-October of 2019 and compared it to mid-October of 2022, crime has gone up 32 percent in felonies. It's gone up 28 percent, 29 percent in petty larcenies. It's gone up almost 70 percent for shooting victims. I, I mean, you know, this is something that that. that that is real. It's happening to people all over this city. Jim, and, uh, I, I have to squeeze in at least two more questions before we run out of time yeah. here. 
One is uh, one of the things that people point to is that crime is up in cities all over America, irrespective of whether they're in red jurisdictions or blue jurisdictions, irrespective of whether they've had changes to their criminal justice statutes like bail reform or raise the age. Crime's up in L.A., it's up in Chicago, it's up in Baltimore, it's up in Philadelphia, it's up in uh, uh, places in Florida. Some people point to that and say, look, it's up everywhere, and it's unfair to blame bail reform and what New York has done for the uptick in crime. What do you say to that argument, which I'm sure you've heard? I've heard it, and I've looked at it. Um, Crime in Baltimore started going up in 2015 when they elected a progressive DA. Crime in Philadelphia started going up in 2017 when they elected a progressive DA. Crime in New York all that time, from 2015 to 2019, was going down. It only started going up when they passed these bail laws and these, these criminal justice reforms. New York has always been an outlier when you're dealing with, uh, with, the, with the rate of crime. We have been, crime in New York has gone down for 27 years while it was going up in other cities. It came down faster in New York than it came down in any other city in the United States from 1993 to, to 2019. You know, they, they, they throw this stuff around and... You know, I, I, how they can sit there and say that, you know, that, that, that the release of these these 2,500 people in New York City had no impact on crime. It's, it's just I, 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 don't say, Jim, I don't say I can say that with a straight face. Jim, I'm way late here. Larry Krasner, the progressive DA in Philadelphia that you just alluded to, the uh, Republican legislature has uh, begun the, in process, uh, the process of impeaching him. They have impeached him. Now he's going to have a trial, and they're going to evaluate whether to remove him. As far as you're concerned, Larry Krasner, should he be removed? Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Um, I, I don't think any I, I think a lot of the stuff that he's doing, I don't know if it's illegal. Uh, a lot of it is discretionary on the part of DAs. I think that he should have been elected out, you know, thrown out of office in the sure. last election uh, for what he's doing in Philadelphia. Um, impeachment, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. The people of Philadelphia elected him. Right. Uh, yeah, that was always my view with uh, uh, Zeldin hammering home the Alvin Bragg removal thing. I mean, uh, that it's the voters of Manhattan that should make that correction. And lastly, speaking of voters making corrections, Queens has a, a DA that, uh, even though she's uh, the mother of my friend Curtis Lee was two sons, she has done some really unorthodox things on the issue of crime. I'm sure a lot of folks would love to see you run and give the voters of Queens a choice next year. Any chance that happens, Jim? I I really don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. All right, Jim. Well, we can hope. Jim, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. Thank you very much. 800-848-9222. Questions, comments, thoughts, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 